For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to episode 28 of the Baseball from Home podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. He is Joe Brand. And we're brought to you by the House of L Podcast Network. I've been covering baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Joe's been broadcasting minor league baseball for the last nine. He covers the White Sox and the Cubs for WGN Radio. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at C1McKnight. He is at Joe underscore brand one. Subscribe, rate, and review the pod. We love it when you do. It helps us get the pod to people who like to listen to it, not just yourself. We love you. But let's get this into the hands of as many people as possible. Just to say that we did. Every show, we cover the Cubs, we cover the White Sox in no particular order. We'll uh, cover some stories around Major League Baseball as well. First, though, none of this show would be possible without David Hochberg and all of the fine folks at Team Hochberg. Not only would I not have a roof over my head because Team Hochberg helped me secure the mortgage for my place out in Wicker Park, um, but Team Hochberg also sponsors the House of L Podcast Network. Uh, Team Hochberg is amazing. They're absolutely fantastic. And I know I've talked about this a lot on the pod. Had a friend who was shopping for their first home, she and her wife, and they thought that they had to grab the mortgage from the bank that they bank with. And I said, no, dude, call Team Hochberg. They actually know what they're doing and they care about you and you're not just a set of numbers to them. They and their team are going to dig through your circumstances, the little things that make you you, and find out what pieces there need extra backup or, or you can need to be taken care of when you're going to buy your first home. They were absolutely fantastic, and part of the reason was because they knew my circumstances inside and out. Give them a call, 855-56-DAVID, or head to the website at 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS one one two. 4061. So, Joe, it's been a week since Tony LaRusso was named White Sox manager. It's been two since the Dodgers won their first World Series since 1988. We've got some hardware being passed out. Major League Baseball deemed it um or deemed it necessary to hand out hardware on the night of the election. So, anytime I mean, I just anytime Rob Manfred complains about his league not getting publicity or his players not being front of mind or like, oh, we're losing fans. You are handing out awards on the night of one of the most historic presidential elections in our nation's history and you think other people are the problem? Get out of here. Who is the Bears lineman that they signed and had the uh, press conference on opening day, I want to say 2014 or 2015. Yeah. I can't remember the name of who it was. Former Viking. But I can't believe there was a time to do worse planning than that when that happened. When everyone's in baseball mood, let's go to a football 
press conference. Um, Connor, I'm just glad you remembered that this was episode 28. I, I am terrible at counting, and apparently counting's a big thing nowadays. So I'm, I'm just glad you were. I'm glad you were able to stay on top. Of I that. went back and I counted each and every episode because every episode needs to be counted, Joe. You don't just stop counting episodes whenever you feel like it. You have to count them all, regardless of the outcome. So I do want to talk some more, uh, some about the hardware that the White Sox and the Cubs have won. Let's start with the White Sox because, quite frankly, there's more hardware there, and it's more fun that way. Luis Robert wins a gold glove. And I, I want to take a minute to talk about where Luis Robert is in the trench of Major League center fielders. I mean, he's a gold glove winner, which by definition means, at least by some measure, he's the best center fielder in the American League, right? But what I think is really interesting is I, and I won't put words in your mouth, but I know you were you know right alongside or or at least had some of the same worries that I did. The outfield defense of the White Sox coming into 2020 scared the shit out of me. I mean, it just it just did. And Luis Robert was going to have to be so good to get over some of those issues in left and in right, and he was. He was just that kind of good defensively as a rookie. And defense is one of those things where you can kind of reliably say, yeah, that's going to get a lot better from where it was. I wonder if any of that stemmed from when Aloy Jimenez was coming up in the minors in his earlier years, like single A, double A, people were talking about his defense. He he made some great catch in single A ball when he falls into the the side screen and he topples over and everyone's like, look at this kid. He can hit, he can knock down lights on a light pole and he can field. And then we got a little glimpse of that in 2019 defensively from Aloy Jimenez and realized, okay, maybe, maybe he's not the uh, left fielder of the future, but it's not so much can or could have Luis Robert made the jump from AAA to the major leagues in 2019 to 2020. It was just the fact that, He's in center field, the most important position in the outfield, and he's got to make up that slack that Aloy Jimenez has. So that's a lot of ground you got to cover in his first year being in the major leagues, and he knocked it out of the park, bad pun intended. I think it, it really just all came to fruition when he made that spectacular catch against Kansas City Ugh. when they, they broke down how far he had to go and how quickly he had to do it. It's just the little things, reading the ball off the bat, and it's funny how uh, – James Fegan's story was uh, about Aaron Rowan talking about um, how Luis Robert has been such a great defender in the winter meetings two years ago. Everything's dying down. All the GMs have gone to bed. Nothing's really brewing on the hot stove. And Aaron Rowan is available all of a sudden because he's, he's in Vegas. I don't know if he lives there or not. And he had been working think, with the Whites. I think a little piece of Aaron Rowan always lives in <laughs> Vegas, yeah. That's that's probably true. Um, but he had been working with the White Sox outfielders, and he could not stop talking highly enough about Luis Robert. And even at that time, you know, we knew he was a great prospect, but he just kept talking about his defense. And in, in James Fegan's piece, too, he mentioned how he's a guy that pushes Robert through these these extra drills or would do that. And he knew Robert would be great when he would ask, why are we doing this? Why are we doing it this way? Because that player wants to know why we're doing this. How is this going to make me better? And that just shows a lot about Luis Robert. I know in the beginning of the year we talked about 
his play discipline and his approach and how that just kind of makes separates him from his age. But it's it's just the things you can't teach, you can't coach in the outfield. That is what he showed, what he was able to do this past year, and, and why he's deserving of a gold glove in his first season in the majors. I'm glad you brought up the Fegan article where he talked to Aaron Rowan because one more piece of that stood out to me. And I, I'm sure it did to you too, having talked with as many coaches as you have in your minor league career, your minor league broadcasting career, although I'm sure your minor league playing career also would have been stellar. <laughs> Thank you. Bullpen catcher, maybe. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hell of a job if you can get it. That's true. Rowan mentioned that Robert's not even using top speed in the outfield much anymore, which, I mean, you know, you, you talk to coaches and it's like if you if you can play at your 80% speed, that means you're you're getting better reads on the baseball. You are more efficient in your routes. And when you do have to go to that top gear, you can go get it still because he's all of, you know, 23 years old. But not being at that top speed, at least to me, there's no there's no evidence of this, but the likelihood is that the fewer times you have to engage warp drive, the the lower the likelihood of it is of a hamstring going or of some injury happening, some sort of stress thing going on. And that's just all better for the White Sox, obviously, because having Robert out there more often or always is better than not. And and I, I think that kind of mastery of the soft skill sets, right? Reading fly balls and, and knowing what kind of routes to take and knowing that, you know, if it's a lefty and it's and it's he's late on the ball, it's gonna slice this way or hook that way. I mean it's just all that kind of stuff um is is all in evidence of Rowan's quote saying, you know, he doesn't have to use his top speed all the time anymore. He just doesn't have to. Um more hardware for the White Sox though. Jose Abreu, Aloy Jimenez, and Tim Anderson all won silver slugger awards at their respective positions. The The most surprising one to you is which? Like if I, if we'd gone back to the start of the Baseball From Home podcast and I told you that Jose Abreu, Aloy Jimenez, and Tim Anderson will all win silver sluggers, which one would have surprised you most? I guess heading into the year, it would be Jose Abreu, but... At the end of the year, I guess Eloy Jimenez, and that's only by default because just how clutch Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu have been all year long. Uh, I mean, how many times do we have the MVP discussion with those two players? Oh, God, yeah. So, I mean, Eloy Jimenez had had a bit of his ups and downs, but Jose Abreu's really was only, what, in the postseason, and Tim Anderson maybe just because – he, he was out a little bit with an injury, um, and it's even saying the word surprising is a stretch. I, I get it. That's why you posed the question. But, yeah, heading into the year, um, you know, stock was so high on Aloy Jimenez. Sure. Well, I don't know. This is difficult because how many people were talking about could Tim Anderson reproduce what he did in 2019? That That's kind of tricky. So I think I would still go with Jose Abreu only because it's one thing – it's one thing to like turn around your season, but the the way that Tim Anderson did it, it was it was pretty much all year long. Sure, I mean he was fighting with DJ LeMahieu all of 2019, 2020 as well. But it was all year long. It's not like pitchers exposed him and then figured out how to finally get him out. And again, it was his approach at the plate, using all parts of the field, only using his power on the pull side for the most part. Um, but I yes, heading into the year, I would go with Jose Abreu just just with the age factor and and boy was that 
proved to be not an argument whatsoever. I, I would have said Tim Anderson at the beginning of the year because I was absolutely one of those guys thinking a 350 or 360 or no, he had a 397 BABIP all of 2019, I think is what it was, 397. Or maybe that was Mankata and he was 393 or something like that. They were both right there. And I, I, I was the guy who expected the downturn. I was the guy who keep, kept selling Tim Anderson. Is like, even if you get 70% of 2019 Tim Anderson, you are still in, in the terrific bargain range of outcomes. Like, that would still be great. Plus, the American League has that Francisco Lindor fellow playing shortstop for the Cleveland Indians. And he had a, he had a terrible season. Um, did not help the fantasy squad out at all. And didn't help the Indians out much offensively either. And that's as much a reason as they went out as early as they did and and barely got there in the first place. I I would have said Tim. I think when it's all said and done, I guess Tim is still the most surprising to me. But that that takes into account my, my negative bias against where American League first basemen have been for the last three years or so. There's just, as a group... Yes, there are some impressive hitters there, but as a group, it's it's not all that great. I mean, if you're looking at like what, like Matt Olson is is one of the next best guys. Like White Sox fans saw him in the three game series, it wasn't all that impressive, and and he's not a batting average type guy, which you know doesn't usually award you silver sluggers. I was interested though. Tim made a little news in talking with uh, MLB.com's Scott Merkin, and the nuts and bolts of the conversation back and forth of what Scott tweeted about his conversation with Tim was this. Tim still has not spoken with new manager Tony La Russa. He says he's waiting for Tony to reach out to him. Fine, no problem there. And there's no rush. It's like that it hasn't happened yet is not endemic of anything at all. Like there's a lot of time before any of those conversations need to happen. Uh, But Tim was strident, I would say, in pointing out that he's not going to wait play change the way he plays he's gonna be as exuberant and dynamic as he always has been and he's not gonna change that for anybody it's it's just another moment where i look at tim anderson's rookie year and i think back to talking to him in his locker barely barely speaking with him in his locker because he barely spoke you know and i i just i'm stunned by how far he's come as a ball player, as a as a ball player in public, as a speaker, as a confident person. It's just, I, I it's really hard to not put Tim Anderson at the top of your favorite player lists right now. He's just so great. I'll say this. I'm sure Tim Anderson wants to talk to Tony La Russa. I'm sure he wants to have that conversation so that he can move forward and everything. I don't think Tim cares, and I'm not saying that in a rude way. I just think, like you said, Tim Anderson is a confident man. He is strictly business. Yes, he loves to have fun, but when he talks to everybody, it's like he's like the CEO of having fun in terms of everything is so well scripted as of, hey, I'm just having fun. It's just what I want to do. I'm just having a good time, just being me. So I really don't think that no matter who the manager is, whether it's somebody that White Sox fans wanted or whether they didn't, I don't think that's going to affect Tim Anderson. Now, maybe the first time he hits a big home run and does a bad flip, there will be some type of conversation, but I just I don't 
think Tim cares. I think Tim Anderson is going to play the way he wants to play. I don't think he's going to stand up anybody. He's going to embarrass anybody or show up anybody, especially the manager. And I just think he's just ready to move on and play baseball. Well, maybe Brad Kellery throws at him again, but I kind of maybe deserves it. I, I think TA's earned it, too. You know, he's he's not that – it, it, there's a nuance here. He's not being standoffish. He's just declaring his own personal space, right? He's He has – And that's what he always does. Of course. That's always been Tim Anderson. Of course Anderson. he has. And you know, you know who does that in Major League Baseball? Good players. Like, every good player. Yeah declares their own kind of personal space, right? Whether it's actual space or, you know, claiming two lockers or something like that, or whether it's like this this metaphorical space we're talking about. <laughs> Dude won a batting title and a Silver Slugger award in back-to-back seasons and damn near won an MVP. Like, that's... You get to do this stuff. You have earned this stuff. And I'm, I'm not saying that as some sort of, like... I, I don't have to make excuses for the guy. Lord knows. But that is a language... That Tony La Russa speaks, that we know him to speak. Good players earn that stuff. That's as old school as it gets. Tony is, you know, as as he said in, in his press conference, still a little old school when it comes to, like, you know, dealing with players and, and kind of their reputations baseball-wise in the league, not, not anything outside the lines, but within the confines of the game. Those, those two things should mesh. I don't know that it's Tony La Russa and the 2021 White Sox can work. I don't think it will be easy, but I also don't think that the work will be unenjoyable, right? I I think, you know, if things go fine and you win ball games, it will be work to come to an understanding perhaps. I don't think that work will necessarily be, you know, torture for anybody, but there will be work. And that's okay in a relationship, especially if you're talented on both sides of that equation and winning ballgames. At the end of the day, most of the people that were talked about, whether they were former players of Tony La Russa, experts of baseball right now, yeah, there was all all the commotion about how Tony La Russa will fit into this clubhouse, how, how polarizingly different Tony La Russa is from this roster. But almost every conversation ended with, well, this is still a very talented roster and a very talented team and they could still win a world series so at the end of the day that's what both ends of these parties are going for and everything you just mentioned about tim anderson kind of reminds me of tony la <laughs> right like just strictly business maybe they have different opinions about how the game is played and all that but those two entities seem very similar so I can see that aspect working out because I have heard of former players of Tony La Russa saying, yeah, he was a great manager. Maybe he didn't care too much to hear about what's going on with my family and everything like that, but he was all about the game, and that was it. That's all he could judge you on. That's all he could critique you on. I can see that working out for Tim Anderson. I can't speak for the other guys in the roster, but I can see Tim Anderson only caring about what his manager thinks about him on the baseball diamond. And there's an a, there's an idea of how this can work out. Yeah, I, I don't think the manager, you know, just that, that guy, I don't think he wins you or loses you that many ball games in the course of a season. You know, I think if you go to the top end, like the best manager in the league and the worst, yeah, there's a disparity there. Um, but I think for the most part, managers don't matter all that much when it comes to wins and losses. Bullpen management is the biggest job, which means if you give Tony La Russa a better bullpen – 
than Ricky Renneria had in 2009, uh, 2020, White Sox are probably a better team. To that end on the bullpen, there was one Major League Baseball kind of note that that crossed the wire that alarmed me some. And I think, you know, Joe, we're going to have a larger conversation about the CBA and where free agent contracts are looking and what kinds of guys the White Sox and the Cubs will eventually sign and targets and that kind of thing. But I don't know if you know, I, I know you noticed, but if, if our listeners didn't, Brad Hand, former All-Star closer, passed through waivers just this last week, week and a half ago. He was owed $10 million. Every team in baseball had a chance to scoop him up for that $10 million price tag. Brad Hand's velocity has dropped from 90, 94, call it 94, to 93, to 91 and a half over the last two years, but had a really good August and September after a little early struggle in 2020, a 137 ERA and 25 strikeouts against three walks in his final 20 innings of the year. Both the Cubs and the White Sox could use a good reliever for the low, low price of $10 million. And, and I just, hell, every team in baseball could use Brad Hand for just $10 million. It's, it's just not that big a price tag for a guy that's going to fill out the bullpen the way Brad Hand can. We are in for a winter of discontent if, if, you, are a, if you are a free agent player. The first thing I was going to jump to, and it's the easy way out, but it's it's the most reasonable reason, is none of these teams know what 2021 is going to look like. They, the front offices don't know what what their salary is going to look like. They don't know how many games these players are going to play. If we get to another situation of what happened with 2020 where they try to do everything they possibly can to squeeze in a season – and then give the players an option to opt out, that's a factor too. There are just so many unknowns. that, And I, you're right, because that's that's the perfect example to bring up because that seems like the least backfireable option available. A, a good reliever for not that much money for a one-year contract? Who it, hates it almost, that? No one! <laughs> it's, it's, it seems asinine not to pick it up. So I... I I think that's just what it all comes down to. And I know we'll get into the Cubs in a little bit, but I, I feel like the Cubs and a lot of other teams are just holding off on doing anything whatsoever until they have more clarity in what 2021 is going to look like. That's spring training. That's how long the season is. That's our players able to opt out free of pay, or is there another situation where money needs to be figured out with Uh, play per game or something like that. There is just so much that still needs to be figured out before these teams can move forward. So, yes, it seems like we will have a very long, frustrating offseason. Yeah, and and I think we'll probably end up doing a pod uh, just on the labor negotiations at some point. Um, I think that's a massive topic of, of conversation here because, quite frankly, everything hangs in the balance and no one knows the details. I don't, I mean, there's nobody on either side who can promise you that there's 162 games to be played in 2021. There just isn't. There's there's absolutely no one who could make that promise to you. And that's scary some, uh, probably for players and fans alike, but definitely for, you know, to, to varying degrees of, of give a damn, like TV networks and front offices and billionaire owners and all that. I mean, there's, there's uncertainty all over the place. Some of them you care about, and some of them, you know, they'll be just fine. Thank you. 
this is kind of a an extreme question, but if you could bet on the over or under of more or less players opting out next year than last year, which way would you go? I would bet that there would be fewer opt-outs next season only because I think psychologically, and I see it in my own life, right? Like, you know, here in the state of Illinois or city of Chicago, rather, the positivity rate of COVID is like 10.9%, or at least it was this yesterday. And I don't go anywhere or do much. I mean, I really don't. But I rock climb, right? So I have a gym that I go to where I, I go rock climbing. And they've limited the amount of people in there. And they sanitize every two hours. And you can only be in there for two hours. And then they have a cleaning crew come in. And do the, right? I mean, it's all set up. But it's still this thing that I know isn't a great idea. But it's as safe as they can make it. And I kind of need this. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This thing to stay sane. I wear a mask the whole time, so does everybody else. I don't get within six feet of anybody who is climbing, all that stuff. And I know that that's still not a great idea, but I kind of need that to get along with my life. And I think by the time we get to the opening of the 2021 season, a lot of players who have, who are in situations where they are mostly healthy and those around them are like mostly healthy, you know, I'm talking about pre-existing conditions or like taking care of elderly, all that kind of stuff, right? I think if you're avoiding some of those circumstances, we're going to be at a point where people are just more willing to take higher risks because it's been around longer. And I'm not saying that's a great plan, but I think that's how this country has chosen to deal with it. So I'm not going to jump to I would bet the over because I'm a wuss with betting and I always just second guess my first guess. (laughs) But here's where I'll disagree with you on a few things. I think last year's situation, spring training starts – Spring training abruptly ends. It's true. Players are thinking, okay, when we start, when we start, I got to be ready. I got to be ready. They're, you know, putting socks on their hands and throwing balls so it doesn't do any damage to the walls. They're putting mattresses up in hotel rooms. I think Major League Baseball, well, no, I mean, it's almost going to happen. They won't structure a whole plan until they've thoroughly thought it all through and Everyone gets a little bit of an input, and they have figured out, all right, how can we make a clean segue from spring training to the regular season? And I think some players might not want to go through what they did in 2020 of being away from family, living in a bubble, making all these constant precautions. Maybe they're just over it. And I'm not saying end their careers, but maybe they're just like, well, you know, I'm I'm not going to get top dollar anyway because – this is affecting the salaries for every team as well. So why not just take a year off because I can do it with no repercussion. No one's going to, you know, badmouth me because I'm missing this year, even though some crazy people have done that in the past. Some will. <laughs> but, but that's the way I also look at it because when they, when they talk about the NBA and the NHL, there's a lot of pessimism 
there's a lot of pessimism that that will not happen because when they resumed the seasons last year, it's just a pickup of what, what what had already happened. All right, let's finish this out. Let's get the playoffs, and let's look to 2021, 2022. But baseball got its hesitant start, and now they're looking forward to everything going back to normal, and no one can guarantee that that's going to happen. Uh, it's, it's absolutely true. Um, I, I totally get where you're coming from, and I think you've made some pretty good arguments. The thing that neither of us know is what this what the next collective bargaining agreement looks like and how how much that has to pass through the lens of covid and and how many different stipulations that creates afterward and, and there's no point i mean truly there's there's no point talking about it cuz nobody knows what the hell these lawyers are going to come out with after all of their conversations and and compromises Let's move on to the Cubs. Uh, Javi Baez wins his first gold glove at the position of shortstop. He's won some fielding Bible awards at some uh, at the utility positions. Um, he seemed, you know, in listening to his press conference about it, he seemed to really want that. You know, like this was a this was a very good thing for the soul of Javier Baez. Uh, he had a terrible season at the plate. He played obviously incredibly well defensively. He's one of the guys that I would look to trade, to be quite honest with you. Um, but that's just, you know, Connor doing the Cubs offseason plan, and no one should ever follow that so much. But I was a little bit surprised by how, um, I guess, gracious is the word for the Javi Baez was for, for getting the award. I see where you're coming from. Are you talking about the Carl Ravitch interview? Yeah. After he gotten it? He just, yeah. He was no. just very, like, he was a very. Uh, <laughs> He's very gratified, very satisfied, uh, Javi Baez. I'm I'm wondering if this 2020 season offensively kind of humbled him. Maybe that that's an aspect. Um, I don't know, but it's also, I mean, it's it's Javier Baez, the guy with the flashy tags and and the cat-like reflexes when he's tagging runners out, and also when he's trying to avoid being tagged. So that's kind of his identity is. His offense has always been hot and cold, whether he's had a good year or not. There's a ton of ups and downs, but the the, um, the consistency has always been his defense. I would like to point out he had, on average, because that's the way we got to look at the statistics for 2020, he was averaging an error every seven games at shortstop because he solely played shortstop. That's the second highest of his career. Hmm. So I, I found that a little interesting, but... I should say, and this is a big but, six of his eight errors this year were throwing errors. And we had talked about maybe is yeah, there okay. a yips aspect, a lot of things not right mentally. Oh, that's right. He did He did get yippy for like three weeks. There were like some clutching going on, and there was a footwork thing that was just hot garbage for like three weeks. And, and I mean, honestly, there were a that. couple of plays that Anthony Rizzo bailed him out of, too. So... That was that was a little surprising to me, but when you read the headline, Javier Baez wins Gold Glove, it's okay. All right, is the sky blue again today yeah. too? Like that, that's normally what you think. Right. Um, but but that kind of intrigued me, just because I, I think it was towards the end of the year that he started having some some awkward throws. So that maybe it was just the recency effect in my mind. But um, now good for Javier Baez for finally 
captivating that award because again that's that just kind of speaks about him did you hear how Ravitch was like well are you going to get a gold glove tattoo on your arm or something now and he was honestly like yes I will I just have to find space on my body for it that's a great idea Carl thank you I will never forget I was I covered Cubs camp in gosh I forget what year it would have been I I guess well what was his first year 14 I think yeah yeah, 14. So it would have been well, – he came up in 14. So I guess this would have been probably 2013 because it was the year before he actually came up to the bigs, I, if I recall. The Cubs are still training at Ho-Ho Cam and all that kind of stuff. So I was you know, I was trying to find Dan Vogelbach and talk to him for a little bit. I was trying to find uh, – uh, who else? What other random – oh, uh, I was looking for um, – Looking for Darwin Barney. Looking to get a couple of minutes with Darwin Barney that day. And I was looking for uh, – well, Schwarber wasn't there. What was another top prospect that I was looking for? Oh, you know who I was looking to get five minutes for this day? Uh, Ian Stewart. I was trying to get five minutes with Ian Stewart, and he told me to just go F off. <laughs> Can't imagine why he didn't work out. But I ended up, I, I turned around and at the, one of the little folding tables, the card tables, um, and Vogelbach was actually shuffling some cards and, and doing like a stress test on one of the folding chairs. And I don't think it was intentional. He was just kind of sitting in it. That's what Vogie did. Um, but I, I turned and Javi had his back to me and he was wearing like a, you know, like a compression shirt. He didn't have his jersey on or anything. I mean, it was just like, you know, it was really early in the morning. And I noticed for the first time, I didn't know he had it beforehand. I noticed for the first time his Major League Baseball neck tattoo, right? The one that just sits above the logo. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, holy shit. This kid is as confident as anybody I have ever seen. How do you get that tattoo as a 20? Like, I was just stunned. I was absolutely stunned. He caught a lot of flack for that, too. And, I mean, no one talks about it now because it's, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. But, yeah, that that was a big thing, I think. Uh, let's see. I, I do remember his major league debut because it was against the Rockies. Yeah, it, in Colorado, it, I think. Yeah, right? and it very you very may well have been at Cubs camp in 2014 because Baez didn't get called up until later on in the year. Yeah, it uh, could be true. Everyone was saying, oh, yeah, of course he's going to get his call up in, in Colorado. He takes these big swings. He's going to go deep in his first at bat, and Cub fans are going to go crazy over this guy, and the curse is over. And I think he went over for his first four and then I remember the, it as 0 for his first nine with nine strikeouts well, no, he, and in his tenth at bat was because well, he did he, no in, in one game like that's how <laughs> bad he was and for like so he's like so many swings and misses they just handed him an 0 for nine and in the ninth he hit the homer wow surprisingly uh, 11 at bats for Javier Baez in his debut and his what's the uh, the Harry Carey line Jesus hit a bases empty grand slam <laughs> uh, but yeah so then it I think the Cubs tied the game and in extra innings he goes deep and it's like well yeah. Of course, big swing, Javier Baez, and the thin air of Colorado goes deep finally. But, um, yeah, th- that that tattoo had followed him along forever because, I mean, he was – I mean, when Theo took over, he was the only guy. He was the only prospect that the, really the – Well, it was him and DJ LeMahieu. Yeah, I guess that's true. Although LeMahieu had major league time. Right. So depending on how yeah, – that's fair. That's I'm I'm cheating some. LeMahieu had major league and, time. And, I mean, Wilson Contreras was in the organization, but no one expected him to be what he was. No, he wouldn't even be catching at that point. No, yeah, I think you're right. Um, 
So yeah, I, it's just funny. It's it's a cool story. It really, really is, and I I think it's cooler how everyone forgets about it now because of what he's done, winning a World Series, now a Gold Glove, being Javier Baez, one of the best shortstops, and oh yeah, five six years ago, a lot of people were doubting him just because they thought he was a cocky little prick. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird how baseball doesn't allow people to have fun, isn't it? <laughs> oh, just a couple of notes. I, I mean, the the Cubs turning down the John Lester option is just, you know, course of business. I don't know that there's a whole lot to jump on there. Picking up the Rizzo option, same sort of deal. 16.5 for, for Anthony Rizzo makes as much sense as anything else. What else are you going to do with that position, even if you're depressed about his offensive output in 2020? I, I you know, Rizzo was always going to get signed to that option awesome of John Lester to buy beer for as many people as he did. I I truly wish that there have been so many things that have popped up during this whole stupid pandemic that I, I just hate. Um, but one of the things I'm really bummed about is that John Lester couldn't buy beer for everybody in a non-pandemic world because his crotchety and as cool and as salty and as as kind of nice it's like John Lester is kind of all of these things in one he's a he's a bastard when he wants to be and he's just a really great guy when he needs to like all this stuff is just impressive but i really wish John had a chance to buy beer for like a, a whole packed murphys or something like that for all day long and and it just didn't work like that and we're we're all robbed of these pictures or like John having showed up at one of these bars or something like that it just that's a guy that deserved it you know that's a guy that that deserved to give that to as many people as he wanted and it sucks that he didn't get the spectacle that he deserved and i think a lot of cub fans felt that when he made his final start at Wrigley and he was just kind of prying the media to talk about how that's that could be his last start at Wrigley Field like he's like oh I've got this on my I've got something on my mind got something on my mind and like was quiet after the last question just waiting for somebody else to ask it and I think he had a Miller Lite on the table during that last press conference too sounds right Uh, sounds right it's a fine beer so I, I mean but this goes back to when John Lester signed with the Cubs because do you remember him thanking every single tweet that said, welcome to the Cubs? He's like, thank you, individual person. I can't wait to like doing all of that. So I I get with what you're saying because that is who John Lester is. He could be a red ass at times or he could be Chicago's best friend. I wonder if the bill would have been higher. Would the bill have been higher if he did just one bar tab at Murphy's Bleachers or something, $47,000, I think the total was, over the yeah. whole weekend. I wonder if... Yeah, I, I I think if it was the whole bar tab at Murphy's, I think they probably could have run him up to about three to six figures. I, I think they probably could have gotten him there. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, Jack and Coke, old-fashioned, goose right, on the rocks. Right. <laughs> just, oh, it's on Shit, Lester's you could probably could have just done rails at Murphy's and gotten yourself up to six figures. <laughs> I mean, just rail rail liquor and gotten you up there. And they pour it stiff over there, too. I haven't been at Murphy's in a long time, but the last time I was there, I actually, I was there. I was in Murphy's. Well, one, I, sh- I probably shouldn't say this, but I guess it's, it's, it's COVID, so it doesn't matter. I was in Murphy's um, with my best friend, the night the Cubs lost to the Braves in 1998. Now, do the math. I'm not that old. That means my <laughs> friend and I were 13 years old sitting on the bar at Murphy's 
as the Braves were finishing off the Cubs and Gary Gaetti was taking off that jacket to maybe warm up to go in and throw in that final game, which would have been a goddamn nightmare. But I was there as a 13-year-old waiting for that game to end. Wow. So the last time I was at Murphy's Bleachers was Game 4 of the 2015 NLCS. I was of age at that point. I, I still am. I've gone back. Um, <laughs> and Henry Rowan Gardner was at the bar. He was at that game. He was he was sitting in the bleachers as well. And uh, they, they put him up on the video board for a little bit. Another crazy thing that happened in that game, because we were, we were center field, a little bit off to the left. Uh, I think it was the eighth inning. Dexter Fowler's warming up in center, you know. Yeah. And then he, he throws a ball into the stands and just wrecks a, a woman on her head right away she's okay right away she's okay. okay full disclosure and Dexter's just got his glove in his mitt and he's just putting up his hand and mouthing I'm sorry I'm sorry <laughs> and like once she's okay everyone starts laughing and pointing at Dexter Fowler like look at what you did <laughs> so that that broke a lot of the tension uh right before the Mets celebrated on Wrigley Field but yeah that was my that's that's the that's the last time I sat in the bleachers I've only sat in the bleachers a few times that was the last time that's that's hilarious that's that's really good we'll have to tell random uh Cubs and White Sox showing up stories every now and again during the offseason I've got another good one about about Henry Rowan Gardner actually uh, at Wrigley Field and on my walk home. I do want to bring this up quick before we get out of here. Uh, Joel Sherman writes for the New York Post and is one of the writers and one of the few New York, New York Post writers that actually knows how to do journalism. Um, but what's interesting here, and Joel, Joel will do this every offseason, right? He covers the Yankees uh, and the Mets, most of the Yankees. And he'll just kind of dream up some trades, right? But the way Joel does it is he doesn't just kind of throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. It's not like a this cockamamie idea. He sits down and really works this sort of thing, right? And has some sources. And I like to think that Joel is kind of one of the guys that, you know, even if he is writing some things that I think make sense, I don't think he's writing this without context, right? I don't think, like, he hasn't talked to anybody about these ideas or at least the framework of this stuff to see what other teams might think about it. So that's the context for this. But he wrote five trades where the Yankees could get out of the Giancarlo Stanton contract. It's large, but I'll read you this and we'll talk about it some. Joel Sherman posits Stanton and prospects to the Cubs for you, Darvish, Jason Hayward, and Craig Kimbrell. This one definitely blows up the Yankees' 2021 luxury tax, he writes, but again, it's for short-term pain and long-term gain. How much do the Cubs want a lower payroll in the short term? Word is, a lot. This saves the Cubs $51 million from 21 to 2023, including $30 million off the payroll in 2021. Plus, their underwhelming farm system could pick up a piece or two additionally as a reward for taking on Stanton from 2024 to 2027. $98 million with the Marlins piece removed. The Marlins are still paying some of that contract, by the way. And then he goes on to write a little bit more about how uh, Darvish and Kimbrell and Hayward would fit in with the Yankees, which really doesn't concern me all that much. But I um, I was a little taken aback by, the, by, by his writing about that. I just don't see the Cubs taking on that large of a contract piece. But when you do the math, I mean, that is some upfront savings for the Cubs, which might appeal, if not 
to Theo Epstein, maybe to Tom Ricketts. It, it's funny that you bring up Theo and Tom because right when you brought this up, I wonder, I just wonder if Theo's willing to make a move with the Yankees, an organization he's always rivaled, whether or not he's been with the Cubs since 2011, he still he still has that that little burning in his in his heart and in his soul about beating doing better than the Yankees. And and I think I I think too I think what goes along with that I think he really does like and admire Brian Cashman, the Yankees general manager. I I think there's like a there's like a healthy respect there in like a weird dark mirror kind of thing. Yeah yeah. Well I mean. It, let, I mean, let's face it, Theo Epstein is practically a genius, so I'm sure he's going to give respect to someone who does his job also very well. Oh, yeah. And I, and I, I listen, I know the Cubs traded with the Yankees before to get a role as Chapman, but this would be a trade to kind of wave the white flag, right? I, I, so that, there's a big difference with that. Um, but hey, let's get weird. I'm, I'm cool with this. I, as, long as, as long as the return prospect-wise is worth it i i'm i'm intrigued by this i'm interested in this i'm i'm buying this i guess yeah i mean i i know the yankees have an, have some they've got like three top 100 prospects and i i think they've got another young young kid who's kind of on the come but hasn't hit a top 100 list yet um clark schmidt though made his major league debut last year he's the the top arm in that system he's got a great breaking ball he sits around 94 95 I, I guess he can goose it up to a little bit higher than that. I, I like what I've seen from him, and I, I like the peripherals of, of a Clark Schmidt. Um, I don't know that – I don't know that this trade, Stanton and prospects for Darvish, Hayward, and Kimbrell, that doesn't scream, yeah, 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 let me give up the top arm in my system, you know, the top – and a major league ready arm, like a guy that can go into the rotation next year in this particular deal. May, maybe, maybe – but I, I kind of doubt it, and unless you're getting that guy, like that major league ready arm, I don't know that that's this trade in particular. Kind of reminds me of like a, a Josh Beckett, Adrian Gonzalez, Carl Crawford move from what the Red Sox to the Dodgers, and the I mean the Red Sox didn't even, didn't even get anything in return in that trade. I don't yeah. think right so. So yeah, I mean it, it comes down to money, but that's what I mean. That's that's where you'd like to see some some future talent in that regard. I think you're right. Uh, the Yankees farm system isn't as, as flashy as it was even just a few years ago. Um, but but I, this opens up a lot of doors. And the other thing is you don't even touch the guys we've been talking about forever, Baez, Bryant, and Schwarber. So maybe there's still something that you can do with them where you're not so much like, – like all the pressure isn't on – Theo to make a move with those guys then where okay I cannot lose this trade because this is the guy I've these are the guys I've hounded on for so many years so that's the other piece of this that I thought was really interesting from Sherman is like yes the Yankees are looking for pitching kind of first and foremost and getting Darvish to back up Cole is is very big for them if, if this is you know something that ends up happening but you have the Yankees you got the pinstripes and in the rumor mill here there's no Baez there's no Bryant, there's no Rizzo, there's yeah. no Schwarber, there's no Contreras. There's, there's there's none of that. There's none of that shit. It's just, it's, give me Darvish, and I'll take some of your bad money, and you can have a couple of prospects. Like, that's, 
and I'm not saying this is obviously a rumor. This is drawn up by a national baseball writer. I'm not saying that this is actually going to happen, but I think some outside national perspective of how those players are thought of is reflected in the way Sherman's writing about the Cubs as it relates to the Yankees right now. And that kind of tells you where Theo's been the last three years, not being able to do anything with that core. Because I don't know that the rest of baseball really respects the core as much as, hell, Cubs fans do. And I think that's the biggest thing. I, when, you, when you talk to people or when you see what other writers are writing, no one's talking about or at least optimistic of the Cubs getting a big return from any of those guys in terms of Baez, Brian, and Schwarber. I mean, even just looking at this headline, Darvish, Hayward, and Kimbrell, I mean, if you're, okay, if you're happy with that move, probably the, the only thing you're totally okay with getting rid of is Craig Kimbrell, and that is even kind of a stretch because of the improvement he had in 2020. But how about that, that you, Darvish, and Jason Hay were like, oh, man, we're really losing them. I mean, a couple yeah. of years ago, it's a different scenario. Um, but, but the fact that Jason Hayward's value is higher than those guys, again, in theoretical Joel Sherman terms, is, is – it speaks a lot to the national level, like you said. It really does. Um, that does it for episode 28 of the Baseball from Home podcast. We'll be back next week. That's the new schedule for the offseason, by the way. Uh, as long as it's cool with you, Joe, we'll lay them down Thursday night. They'll come out Friday morning, and, you know, we'll touch on the big things for the White Sox and the Cubs and get into the CBA at some point this offseason. That'll be a blast. And we'll talk about some of the free agent moves to come as well. He's Joe. I'm Connor. Thanks for listening to Baseball from Home. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.